You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. I have another outstanding interview today. Dan Cabela from the Cabela Family Foundation. Hey, Dan, welcome. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. No, I am too. I am too. This is surrounding the 12 Cheetah Project. And when the foundation reached out to us to talk about it, it, I got really excited because just some background for our listeners over a year ago, we had Ivan Carter on and talked about the 24 Lion Project in the Maramu Katata complex in the Zambezi Delta in Mozambique. And this is a follow-up project with the 12 cheetahs that we're going to talk about today. So it's conservation in action. It is giving, again, us a lot of hope that there are many organizations out there like the Cabela Family Foundation that are that are helping endangered species, helping to rehabilitate a dead ecosystem. Uh, so that, that Dan, that kind of leads me into my first question. So the Maramu Katata complex, what did this region or, or ecosystem look like before, you know, the Cabela Family Foundation, and I know you, you're working with others, uh, but went in and said, okay, we're going to rehabilitate this place. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go back a little further than that, if that's okay, just, yeah, just sure. to give a little background. So um, there was a civil war in Mozambique, uh, and uh, the Zambezi Delta was absolutely part of that. I think it was from 1977 to 1992. And so a lot of animals were poached and, and used by soldiers for, for food and things like that. And so... Mark Haldane, who who is the operator of Katata 11, came in there in uh, 93, I believe, and uh, there were 44 sable at that time. I think there were 1,500 Cape buffalo. Uh, There were no apex predators. So over Mark's, what would that be, up up to 2021, I guess that's about 27 years or so, he over his tenure there, there are now twenty five thousand buffalo, um, and and basically they had restored 
all the game that was in that area over that period of time. But but the one thing that that, that never really returned were, were apex predators. And, and part of the reason for that is, you know, it's a delta. So it's it's uh, not an easy area to recolonize, uh, hard to get to, hard to get through uh, cities and villages to get back to that big, vast, wild ecosystem. So I went there and uh, I guess it was 2015 uh, with, uh, with my son to see the area. And, and we spent probably 10 days there and I, and I was blown away by the game. I mean, I was just... I'd been to Africa many, many times, and it was just teeming with game. I mean, but but the but the, the odd thing was is everything was very calm, and, and at the time it, it didn't dawn on me uh, that a lot of that had to do with the fact that there's no predation. So a couple of years later, maybe a year and a half, two years later, uh, Ivan Carter pitched to me the, this idea of. Uh, relocating the largest group of lions ever to be translocated in history to, to this area. And, and uh, of course, I was pretty excited about that because I had been there. I had seen the work that Mark and his people did there and what they had done for that ecosystem to restore it. And mm-hmm. it seemed like the perfect partnership between Ivan Carter, us and, and Zambezi Delta. That's kind of how the whole thing started. Uh, and, and, you know, we, there's no way to know for sure how it's going to go, you know, um, but, but, but lions are pretty tough um, and they've done incredibly well. You know, there's, we, we've gone from 24 to over 80 in three years. So they're, they're doing very well. And, and so after that, uh, after that uh, reintroduction, uh, it was decided, you know, that maybe we should try to bring cheetahs back. So, we spent a couple of years uh, researching because you don't want to reintroduce an animal unless you absolutely know that it was there at one point. Mm-hmm. So we did some research and we found that cheetahs did exist there. It, it, it's probably been 75 years or so since wow. there's been a sighting there, mm-hmm. but uh, they, they did exist there. And uh, we decided to embark on another uh, large scale uh, reintroduction to that ecosystem to try and, fully restore it back. Uh, it's one more step, you know? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. that's kind of the history behind it. No. And so the, yeah, I did want to check up on the lines. You said 90 today and, and it's only been a few couple of years. So they're established yeah, 20, doing well. Yeah. Doing very well. 2018. I mean, uh, so we have, you know, our first set of cubs are now get, having babies, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Kind of a milestone. Yeah. Now, really quick, why was this region out of all of Africa? Because like you said, you've been to Africa many times. And Mozambique did uh, go through civil war, but now is is, is very stable, right? The, the, the country's stable. And it's, it's near South Africa, um, kind of near Kruger too, I guess, regionally. So why did you, or why did they select this specific area? Was it once just a very thriving ecosystem and they were just like, okay, this is a perfect place to rehabilitate? Uh, yeah, I think there's a few, a few factors. I mm-hmm. think that's one for sure. I mean, if you go back and read some of the old books uh, from the old explorers and things like that, you'll find that, you know, there were lots of elephants and lions and everything else in that area. Uh 
and there still is a substantial elephant population there that's growing all the time. But 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 uh, a few things I'll just point out the the the, the probably the the bigger picture things that 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 help to make sense to you to go to this area. One, uh, of course, is the operator and and their anti-poaching efforts, their use of helicopters, uh, their ability to track things, their ability to, if something does end up in a snare, to save animals and to remove snares quickly. So that, so that, that was one reason. Another reason is there's not really domestic livestock in that area. So that human wildlife conflict of predators eating, you know, resources doesn't really exist there. So that made a lot of sense. And then the, 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 uh, I think the involvement with the community, the local communities and, and what they bring as a partner, uh, to initiatives like this in that specific area really strengthened the idea that, 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 uh, we might have some success there. Well, and it's interesting that, you know, when you, especially when you were talking about introducing the lions and the importance of predators to an ecosystem, it's something we always talk about, you know, every apex predator we, we, we cover. And as their numbers continue to decline, it, it, it is having a massive detrimental effect on the ecosystem because, you know, those herbivores need to be in check. And when you take out the predators, you know, they go crazy and, and, you know, eat certain species of plants. We always go back to a classical study that that's really making impacts in conservation. And that was the wolves in Yellowstone. You reintroduced the wolves into Yellowstone. It totally rehabilitated the ecosystem. Other species came back because they had to drive the elk out because the elk were overgrazing, eating young saplings of ash and willow. And so predators are just so critical to keep those animals in check. So it, it's amazing the work that you guys are doing down there. So one of the things that I remember I've been talking about, and I, and I wanted to, uh, before we start getting to the specifics of the 12 cheetah project is getting the locals involved. And again, everybody that we're talking to uh, that we bring on this podcast or around the world, getting locals involved in conservation is critical. So you, you touched upon it, but I don't know if you can just expand on that. How are the locals involved in protecting uh, this region? So um, there's there's many levels to that, um, and, and once again, I'll, I'll point out the, the the more obvious ones. But but uh, Mark's group donates provides you know over thirty tons of protein to mm-hmm. to the villages annually. Mm-hmm. Uh, what that does is you know, it keeps less snares out there indiscriminately ca- catching animals, you know, uh, you know, full belly goes a long way mm-hmm. in, a, in an area like that. Mm-hmm. Um, schools have been built. We built a medical clinic. Uh, we have started an agricultural program. We've, we, ha- we had a tractor donated by an organization. Um, there's now a bee, uh, a honey mm-hmm. business that we've partnered with the community on. And of of course, tourism, you know, there's bed taxes and other things that they, so they financially benefit as well. Um, And, and, and it's been received very well. I think that partnership is incredibly strong. And I think uh, both sides work at it hard continually. Oh, that's good. That's good. All right. So let's talk about the 12 cheetahs. (laughs) And so this is relocating 
that's why you call it 12, 12 cheetahs to uh, the Maramu Katata complex. Why were cheetahs selected versus all the other predators that you could have brought in? Well, I think there's a, I think there's a, a few reasons. One is uh, that there's historical data showing that they existed there. That's probably mm-hmm. the most important one. Um, and then also, I think there's, I think there's something to working with charismatic animals. I, I, I think it transcends across a lot of different people and a lot of different thoughts. And, and I think it gets people engaged more. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of work that we're doing there with insects and butterflies and other things, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't draw the attention of cheetahs and lions. <laughs> um, and, and so I think from that standpoint, that's another reason. I think as we move forward, you, you know, there's been talk of jackals. There's been talk of reintroducing wildebeest, uh, you know, which hopefully we do participate and do mm-hmm. all of those things as well. But but I, I think getting it on the map with these charismatic animals that everyone recognizes helps with the project, helps to get people involved, helps to build interest. Yeah, I know. If you would have said, oh, we're, we're going to do the uh, 10,000 butterfly project. Are you interested in <laughs> interviewing Dan Cabela? I'd be like, eh, maybe. Yeah, we'll think about it. <laughs> You said 12 cheetahs. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about this relocating. I mean, you know, cheetahs are highly endangered, less than 8,000 left in the world. So they are charismatic and and people, when they go on safari, they, they want to see cheetah, you know, they want to see lion, obviously the big five, but uh, that makes a lot of sense. So being so endangered, did this have, you know, support from conservationists in Africa? I imagine it did, but just wanted to ask that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we have the potential, you know, this is an unfenced area. This is mm-hmm. a totally wild ecosystem. And uh, we have the potential to increase the wild cheetah range by 30%. And I think that's pretty profound. I mean, that, 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 yeah. the biggest problem with, with uh, cheetahs right now is, is, is lack of space, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and uh, 2 million acres is a pretty sizable area. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. And I think a lot of people, like, especially when you think of South Africa, they think, oh, there's a lot of wild spaces, but it's really just a bunch of game parks because it's it's so populated, right? And so right. When you t- I, I think people don't want to miss that point, how important that point is when you understand Africa that there isn't a lot of wild spaces left like this. So that, that's a great point. Now, where were these cheetah previously located? And I guess, how were they selected before relocation? So um, 10 of them were were in parks in South Africa. And then two came from Malawi. Uh, let, let me back up a step mm-hmm. there. We sourced two from Malawi. One actually died before we were able to even pick them up. So we, it ended up really being 11 cheetahs. Uh, uh, because we lost one before before we were even able to translocate it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, um, and then I know I'm getting the reports now, which is amazing to read. But can you talk about the team that's studying them and supporting them through this relocation? Yeah, so we've got we've got basically a team of, of scientists there. The, the, the main one is is uh, William Briars Lou, um, and he's been there. Oh, I guess going on two and a half years. Um, 
And there is a whole team. There's even some some college kids that we bring over that help uh, and kind of intern. But but there's monitoring. There's callers. It happens every single day. Um, uh, I can't imagine imagine that they're more on top of it. I knew they would be on top of it, but it's actually exceeded expectations. I mean, you know, there's reporting every day. They track all the movements. You get graphs. You get. you get uh, uh, visuals of, of, of the terrain and where these things are moving and how they're moving back and forth and going into different areas. You get uh, data on the kills, um, lots of photos. Uh, it, it's really astounding the amount of work that's being done there. No, they are. I imagine how exciting that would be to be out there on the ground studying this and and learning. I mean, I, I don't think that that can be overlooked, you know, learning about a relocation, you know, what it takes to move a predator, an apex predator like that. So with the lions and now the cheetahs, I know, I know you're, you're not on the ground, but what are some of the things that they're learning or that they're sharing with you with, with these animals? Well, I I think, I think it's a, I think we're learning stuff every day. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, these are things that are, or haven't been done a whole lot, Mm -hmm. uh, especially, in large non-fenced areas. Uh, so the cheetahs definitely move a lot more than we ever thought they would yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of going and retrieving them and bringing them back. Uh, there's more chopper time. I think than we ever would have figured, uh, especially with the males, mm-hmm. the females seem to, to be a lot more grounded than the males. The males like to wander. So we've spent a lot of time bringing them back following them. I mean, they, you know, I think, uh, one of the males almost wandered all the way to Byra. <laughs> I saw the track. I was yeah, like, they went far. Yeah. 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 They're going far. They're going far. But again, you know, the scientists are gathering data, you know, how these animals are reacting and, and trying to show them this isn't home now, right? Like this is where right. you belong. Yeah. 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 With the lucky land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Jane Perlez longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Now, here's a question, and obviously around the world, the last two years have been difficult everywhere, you know, across the globe. But how how has COVID impacted this project the last couple of years? 
and some of the challenges that they've been faced with? It hasn't impacted it hugely. I mean, obviously we've had, you know, at times staffing issues when people have gotten sick, but, but because it's funded separately from most of the other things that are going on there, the, the hardest part was probably getting, you know, somebody like Mark back and forth um, often enough. So a lot of times when he'd go, he'd stay longer than he normally would, but then he might be gone longer than he normally would. But for the most part, I, I, the COVID didn't, didn't impact the project too much. I think if it would have been funded in a different manner and we didn't have the, the, the long-term commitment uh, in our agreement, you know, if you were getting those funds annually, I think it would have been, I think it would have been devastating. Right. Uh, right. But, but because those funds were secured, I think it, it was, it was for the most part stable. It's just, I know it has hit conservation hard around the planet, especially tourism. You know, those tourism no dollars doubt. have really dried up and, and it's really making impacts. So it, it's going to be interesting and, in the next and, couple of years. And I will say on that side of things, mm-hmm. they were hit very hard, yeah. you know, so, so, for the non-supportive, the things that they do on their own, mm-hmm. they had to, you know, basically fund that themselves, you know, the meat distribution and all that stuff. And and then, you know, they had to source that. And now you're sourcing it with st- staff versus tourists. And so it's it's a lot more work and a lot more money and, and you don't have money paying for it at that mm-hmm. point. So that side of things, which, you know, the care for the lions, the care for the cheetahs, that was all under control, but everything else that they do there was, was, was certainly hard, hard to keep up with and hard to manage without income. Yeah. And there's going to be impacts. I mean, you know, we're going to see it in the next couple of years as, as scientists are able to get back out in the field and, and, and do surveys and, and study how these animals are doing, but it's, it's good to hear, I guess today, how are the, the cheetahs doing, you know, at the beginning of 2022? Well, I, I, w- I would be, not being truthful if I, if I, if I, if I didn't state that, you know, there have been some, some negative impacts mm-hmm. that have happened on this project. There were on the lines as well, you, you know, and, and that has to be expected going in. We had one female snared that we lost. We had one female that died natural causes that we lost and we, and we lost one male. Now we have brought in two more females to, to, to offset those losses. Um, and we may have to supplement some more in the future. Uh, the lions seem like they're well on their road and I don't think we're going to ever need to bring in unless we want to try to change out some genetics or something. I don't think we'll ever really have to bring in more lions. Um, but with cheetahs, they're, they're staying more in, into their range now and they're not, they're not traveling quite as much, but it's a little more delicate cat. You know, it, 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 uh, not as indestructible as a lion no for sure no no and i mean i mean even just you know cheetahs are are inbred you know it's we we covered them we did an episode of them um, you know many episodes ago and and because of uh the bottleneck at the the end of the ice age you know it's it's nothing human caused uh, like some other species they had a genetic bottleneck so they are more fragile you know (laughs) you know for a lot of reasons and but still, you know, with those losses, those scientists are learning, right? They're learning. For sure. Right. So when you do bring in so, other ones so, or do this elsewhere. So the thought with the male that died that was wandering, which I found very interesting, and, and I would have never 
I mean, I'm not a scientist, so I, I would have never thought this angle, but he, 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 he walked out from where all the food source was because there's an abundance of food where they're at. And he just took a walk and, and they believe he starved to death because he, he got too far away from a food source and didn't eat for five, six days. Yeah. Um, and, and, uh, that's an interesting behavior when you're surrounded by food and you take a walk and you walk out of the food. Right. No, no I mean, and, and, and again, just a few days and, and that brings me back to the physiology and, and shows how harsh the wild is, you know, for, for these animals, it is t- very tough out there. And if they don't eat, they, they will perish quickly, especially a, a top predator like that. So one of the things that, that the Cabela Family Foundation is doing is, is you're funding a lot of anti-poaching efforts there. So can we kind of talk about what that is and, and what are some of the, you, you know, you did lose a female to a snare, but what are some of the anti-poaching efforts being done uh, around this complex? Well, in the last 10 years, it's been really ramped up and, and even a lot more so than I would say in the last three to four years. So there, there, there's, there's foot patrols, there's motorcycles, they've got a very large unit, they, they patrol every day, there's, there's, um, they have informants out, um, there's helicopters, uh, we sponsor one of the helicopters. Uh, and uh, I would say poaching for, well, when you look at their neighbors, you know, the poaching in Katala 11 is almost non-existent. And most of the poaching that happens is right on the borders. I mean, most of the poachers that they catch are on their borders. So I think long-term, the thought is if we could get some outside funding and actually beef up and model the same anti-poaching that's going on in Katata 11 with their neighbors and help them and and uh, also educate them on it, on how to do it and how to handle it and how to fund it. That that we could really make a huge difference in in, the, in that two million acres. So right now, Katata Eleven is fairly under control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, talking about the the complex today versus when all of this began, I, I meant to ask this earlier, but what are some of the other species that have come back on their own that haven't been relocated, or I guess how does it look today? Because one of the things you mentioned and and we kind of joked about it but was the insects again can't brush that over because this ecosystem so you have scientists in there looking at the impacts on insect populations because it's all connected so that's that's very interesting that's amazing that's amazing so what are some of the other species that have have come back uh, to this region all of the ungulates Mm -hmm. um now now do i think that that any of them were entirely wiped out like the cheetahs no but but their numbers were very very low i mean when you talk to people that were there you know 25 years ago mm. you might drive all day without seeing an animal today if you just walk out of uh, the lodging area the airstrip will have 30 animals on it you know less than a half a mile from from your tent so uh, everything has come back in big numbers, and and once again, that that uh, that's why re- a reintroduction of a couple of apex predators made so much sense. There's such an abundance of prey species there, and and it, just for instance, some of the species, you know, for instance, a sable, I, you know, I, 
44 to there's we're 44 counted the year that Mark started. I think the latest count was like 3,500. Um, wow. you know, the zebras have come back in huge numbers. The Buffalo have absolutely exploded. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's kind of across the board. SUNY, uh, you know, I've never seen so many SUNY any mm-hmm. place on the planet. Uh, I mean, they're everywhere. Um, Red Diker everywhere. Um, it, it's really amazing. And, you know, we collared uh, all of those species as well, some of them, mm-hmm. just so we can study their behavior in relationship to when, we, when you brought the apex predators and where did they move? What did they do? Right. What was their reaction? So we've collared everything from elephants down to warthogs, uh, just to, to also analyze that behavior. So like this is all going on behind the scenes. Yeah. Like this is, this right. is, it makes, I'm smiling because I just, you know, it's a conservationist dream to, to have all those resources and study this and, and, and how this ecosystem's bouncing back and all the impacts. And now you bring in predators and then, oh my goodness, your, your scientists are, are, are so lucky and fortunate. So it's amazing. We're, we're- and, We've even collared a couple of leopards, believe it or not. That's what I was going to ask. Like your leopards back in there. Yeah. Which yeah. is no easy task. No. But we, I, and I, I was on one of those. So that was, that was pretty exciting actually. But, uh, but, and then the data you can gain from that uh, is, is, you know, cause nobody really knows there's, we have a lot of camera traps out. So we're mm-hmm. learning a lot about the leopards uh, and uh, they're, they're able to identify different leopards by their spots taken through pictures and things like that. So there are a lot more leopards there than I think we realized. And it, there's a long running joke on the podcast. My partner who's been to Africa many times has yet to see a leopard in the wild. Like she just, that's always on her list. She's seen all the other, you know, major predators and, and tons of ungulates and she can't find a leopard. So I'll send her there. I'll tell her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you maybe see one there. Uh, so what are the long-term plans now? The cheetahs, going to keep monitoring them. Like you said, bring in some if, if they need to, but looking at, I guess, maybe the next five to 10 years, what are some of the, uh, all the organizations that are working at, working at the, the Maramu Katata complex, what, what are your long-term plans for that area? Well, uh, number one is protected. Um, cause there's just not too many places that vast that are around anymore. So I think that is probably the, the, the biggest deal, try to get longer contracts for the operators that are committed to, to these kind of projects and try to help them to accomplish that. Two is what we touched on just a little, little, little bit ago, and, and that would be to expand that anti-poaching efforts into the neighbors uh, to really increase the protection uh, and, and expand. And because, and, you know, these lions, Eventually, they're going to need to go into those neighboring concessions, and uh, we need to we need to have those areas prepared to protect them. Right. Um, so I, I think those are the two big ones, and I think uh, if we can keep having success and 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 actually re- reintroduce a, a few more species, uh, bringing in more partners, expanding this whole model, uh, I, I'm hopeful that 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 it will stay as an intact ecosystem and, and, and not uh, be cut up or, or be overly populated or, or, or something of that sort. Right, right, right. And, and, and then it can be, like you said, the model and then other parts of Africa or even, you know, maybe parts of Asia, um, you know, there's talks of, I don't know if it was cheetahs or relocating um, some, some predators 
back in India. India. Yeah. The cheetahs in India. Yeah, Yeah. So that's very interesting. Now, Obviously, conservation, it, it takes money. I mean, everything in the world takes money. And, and again, when we talk th- about the complexities of animal conservation, wildlife conservation. So how, you know, obviously the Cabela Family Foundation has, has made huge investment in this area and others. How are you going to sustain this? Is it just through tourism, you know, hunting? What are some of the other things that, that are going on there that, that can help? support the local population to maintain this area? Because of the remoteness of, of the area, uh, um, hunting and tourism, I think, are always going to be big drivers for, mm. oh, the the nuts and bolts of, of keeping things going there. I mean, it's, it's worked incredibly well up to this point. I mean, we've talked about some of the numbers. That's mm-hmm. all that's happened there in the last 27 years, you know. Yeah. Uh, until until we started reloc- relocating animals and reintroducing animals through through private funds, uh, so so I think that those two things will will still be the driver for the the majority of of, of what happens there. Now now, you know, lions, cheetahs, wildebeest, jackals, bringing things like that back in. I, I think our goal would be to bring in some other groups to help with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that, that's, that's what we intend to do. That's our hope Yeah, is to bring in some other foundation, some other partners, uh, and, and just keep going forward. Uh, yeah. we're having success now. I think it's a little easier to, to, to have those conversations because, uh, the money has actually been invested. Well, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it it, the projects have, have exceeded expectations. So I think those conversations become easier. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was hard in the beginning. It's, you know, it's scary moving lions and cheese. It wasn't, yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't scary for us. It was, you know yeah. what I mean? But, but uh, it seemed like if it was going to work, this was the right scenario. No, it is. I mean, it is. And it's, I, I, as, as a science, you know, scientist and in, in, in a science nerd, I, I'm excited to hear about the data that these scientists find with the impacts on the ecosystem, reintroducing the lions, now reintroducing the cheetahs, how that, that plays into it. Because that, again, you know, we're, we're seeing this with other animals around the planet, but we always go back to this, this wolf and Yellowstone study. It's a classical study now, and, it, and it's really made waves in, in conservation in the last 15 years. 15, 20 years. And, and now we're seeing it with other predators uh, around the planet. So, you know, well done with this project, the 24 lion project. It, it, it's really generating a lot of um, important data, you know, from, from the insects all the way up to the elephants, you know, what the impacts are. So I just want to talk about, jump into the Cabela Family Foundation you know, are there other areas in the world that you guys are working in conservation, animal conservation that people may not know about? Yeah, for sure. So we've got a fairly substantial project on a place called Philmont Scout Ranch, which is in New Mexico, Cimarron area. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's more of a youth developmental project, getting kids outside, uh, 
getting them to to take take conservation classes, getting them to uh, uh, do archery classes, learn how to tie uh, fly knots and 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 things like that. And we do that through the uh, the Boy Scouts. So we've got that project. We're, we're going to relocate some. I can't get into specifics on some of this stuff yet because they're they're still in the works. But 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 uh, there's talk of uh, relocating some bighorn sheep this year. There's also talk about relocating some pronghorn uh, this year. So, and we do some of that stuff. It doesn't quite get the notoriety of the African stuff, but but it's still very important and and uh, and and very meaningful. Yeah. And then also, you know, we we do support a lot of other organizations just not so much hands-on, but, but financially from a distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's important to preserve our wild spaces. Like you're working towards that, you know, the, the Cabela family. So, you know, that, that's, it's amazing the work you're doing, you know, looking into this and, and reading about the work that you've done in Africa and elsewhere. So uh, that's really great. Uh, just, just final question, Dan, for, for you get running where can our listeners learn more about the 12 Cheetah Project, uh, maybe the 24 Lion Project, and the Cabela Family Foundation? Uh, CabelaFamilyFoundation.org is, is, is the website. And then, uh, you know, of course, we are on social media. Uh, you can look us up on Instagram or Facebook under the Cabela Family Foundation. Also, um, the 24 Lions Project, we have a series that's going to be coming out on on that. On uh, it'll be streamed. I can't I can't say who with yet because it's it's not finalized, mm-hmm. uh, but it's close. Uh, and the same with the twelve cheetahs. Nice, nice. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, put all those links in our show notes, and then also make sure we we update our listeners when that does come out because uh, I will definitely be excited to watch that after speaking to you and after talking to Ivan about this and. And hopefully to get over to the, this area of Mozambique uh, when I get back over to Africa. Um, but but Dan Cabela, the Cabela Family Foundation, thank you for coming on. Thank you for the work that you're doing uh, in conservation. I can't understate it from a scientist perspective, somebody that's been talking conservation for the last going on four years now in this podcast, how complex it is. I can't understate this to our listeners. This is the work that needs to be done. This is critical work. The data the scientists are getting uh, is going to be so important for the next coming decades as we we look at rehabilitating uh, a lot of uh, biomes out there. But but thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Chris. Uh, I appreciate you having me. something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh ah oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details